Hello and uh, hello and welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Warnold. Uh, great to have you along with us here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today is the feast of St. Louis de Montfort, the author of True Devotion to Mary and Secret of the Rosary. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Rosary today and the part played by Louis de Montfort in promoting Our Lady's Psalter, as well as the ever-popular Total Consecration to Mary. Also today, we'll uh, be welcoming a special guest, uh, God willing, and the technology cooperates. We'll be joined in the second half of our program by Mr. Eric Sammons, the editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine and a fellow traditional Catholic. And he's coming on today to talk about a new monthly periodical that is scheduled to debut this August called Benedictus. And I got an advanced copy, and I think it can be best described as a Magnificat for the extraordinary form of the Mass. So lots to look forward to today. Also a meditation on the Gospel of the third Sunday after Easter, Your Sorrow Shall Be Turned Into Joy. But first I'd like to uh, comment on an article that was posted online by John Allen on the Crux website last Monday. It's called, Let's Face It, The Modern Papacy is an Impossible Gig. And in this article, Mr. Allen catalogs a number of news items related to the Vatican and the papacy that came out in the last week or so, including the Pope's video presentation for Joe Biden's conference um, on climate change last week, a Vatican dicastery webinar on biodiversity, the recent anti-COVID-19 restriction protests in Italy, a meeting between Pope Francis and Prime Minister Delegate of Lebanon, urging international community to, uh, to bring some stability to the Lebanese Republic, with Francis also expressing his desire to visit Lebanon as soon as possible. And last but not least, the Pontifical Council for Culture has announced an upcoming conference on health care this May, which will feature such speakers as New Age guru Deepak Chopra, presidential medical advisor Anthony Fauci, uh, so-called global health advocate Chelsea Clinton, and the septuagenarian lead guitarist of the rock band Aerosmith, Joe Perry. Now, according to Allen's article, to recap, these stories touch on healthcare systems and delivery in the 21st century, climate change, biodiversity, the tension between protecting public health and individual freedom in the COVID era, and the politics of the Middle East. And then he asks, is there a common denominator? Yes, he says, in today's world, the Pope is expected to have something to say about all of them. So when uh, Alan says the papacy, as it's come to be understood, is an impossible gig, he's not talking about the actual office of the papacy as defined in the catechism or in canon law, you know, which he himself identifies as time-honored, immutable, and honestly elastic enough to accommodate all matter of concrete applications. Rather, he's talking about the expectations of the popular media, including social media, and the expectations in the popular mind. And he considers... um, you know, what the world's expectation of the modern popes really are. Uh, That they are, modern popes need to be political chess masters, right? Experts in in global politics. They need to be intellectual giants in matters of, uh, you know, morality, philosophy, theology, and so on. 
Uh, they need to be the equivalent of Fortune 500 CEOs. They are, after all, managing what is a, a, or can be seen as a huge corporation. Uh, and not to mention, they need to be media superstars as well as living saints. Now, this, of course, is both an unreal and unreasonable expectation. And ultimately, the point of his article is that we need to, you know, cut Pope Francis some slack. Um, he says even John Paul II and Benedict XVI had some gaffes. Maybe they had policies that didn't work out so well. And in the process, he kind of implies that Francis is no John Paul II or Benedict XVI. But here's why I bring this up in the first place. At one juncture, Allen says... One could, of course, argue that popes shouldn't cater to these expectations. That is, to you know, be global politicians and economists and environmentalists and media darlings. One could argue that popes shouldn't cater to these expectations, that they should just stick to preaching the gospel and saving souls. But get this, he says, The ship on that idea sailed a long time ago, however, and it's not coming back to port. Really? The ship has sailed on the Pope's primary concern being the salvation of souls. Those days are gone. They're never coming back. You know? And I'm, I'm not too sure I agree with that. I mean, there's an axiom in uh, logical discourse, quod gratis asseritur, gratis negatur. That which is freely asserted may be freely denied. You know, he didn't offer any evidence for this. He just stated it as though it were a fact. So in reply... Um, I would say that I believe the ship has not sailed on the traditional function of the papacy. I believe there's nothing, uh, which he kind of admits, there's nothing in the description of the papal office that demands the Pope fulfill any expectations imposed by the so-called modern world. On the contrary, I believe that the job of the Pope is, was, and always shall be to shepherd the flock of Christ, to feed his lambs and feed his sheep and tend his sheep and that the words of Christ to Peter apply to every pope. I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and thou, being once converted, confirm thy brethren. And I believe all of this because the Catholic Church teaches it, and there's no expiration date on the truth. Now, I, I think what John Allen is really saying is you can't turn back the clock. And like many others, he just deems it impossible for the papacy to, to go back to a time when the Pope isn't uh, constantly responding to every, uh, every single uh, event in the world and, uh, you know, th that it would return to its former dignity or its former glory uh, or to realize the restoration of, of Christendom beginning with the liturgy or for the church to recover her former prominence in the world. The ship has sailed on all these things, they say, because of the inevitability of progress. And I think that that opinion is demonstrably false. I mean, the fact that modern culture is wallowing in a morass of pornography and adultery and homosexuality and every other kind of sexual perversion and divorce and contraception and abortion and child abuse and addiction and even human trafficking, that's clear proof that you can turn back the clock because all of those problems were epidemic in the pagan Roman Empire. Some of them even affirmed as good by the leading intellectuals of that day, just as they are in our own day. So that's not progress. That is, in fact, societal and moral regression. Now, we know that pagan Rome eventually fell to the barbarians, and it was the Catholic Church, and only the Catholic Church, 
valiantly communicating God's grace to a hostile culture and producing an army of saints in the process that ultimately freed the pagan West from the very same societal scourges that threaten us today and gave birth to medieval Christendom. That is a fact of history. And really, the, the, the one great difference between pagan Rome and the modern secular state is that the ancient pagans didn't have 2,000 years of Christian history to answer to. But there's an axiom in physics. If a thing has happened, then it can happen. And in 2010, Cardinal George of Felicitous Memory told a group of seminarians, quote, I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison, and his successor will die a martyr in the public square. But then his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization, as the church has done so often in human history. The fact is, Christianity itself is a grand restoration project, restoring the relationship with God that was broken in the Garden of Eden. And our Lord Jesus began his ministry with the words, his public ministry, with the words, repent and believe in the gospel. And repent literally means to turn back. And today, as always, the solution to our society's problems lies primarily in individual souls turning back to God and his holy Catholic Church in order that she may restore all things in Christ. You know, C.S. Lewis said, we all want progress, but if you're on the wrong road, then progress means doing an about-face, and, uh, and in this case, the one who turns back the soonest is the most progressive. For two millennia, Christ and his Holy Church have been at the vanguard of true progress. Each and every hour of the day, the host and chalice are raised somewhere on the earth. And at every Holy Mass... Um, the, the, the clock is turned back. Christ turns the clock back all the way to the sacrifice of Calvary. In the sacrament of penance, Christ turns back the clock on our sins to restore our baptismal innocence. With his help, we can certainly turn back the clock on this modern insanity and restore the sanity that only comes from sanctity, which, by the way, is the virtually unknown message of Vatican II, that the call to holiness is universal, that holiness is for everybody, from the Pope on down. I know if you're, if you're a regular listener to this program, you know that I actively promote um, no-nonsense Catholicism. And even, even you know, uh, I, I turn often to the Middle Ages and Christian chivalry. Because I believe that it's truly possible to cultivate moral virtue, even in the hostile environment of our vice-ridden and secular society. And I believe the ideal of Christendom uh, will be resurrected in the West precisely through restoration of the Catholic Church. And I, I account myself blessed to assist with my family at the traditional Latin Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. And I consider the widespread celebration of the extraordinary form of the Mass, as well as the corrected English translation of the ordinary form, to be among indisputable signs that the happy restoration of the Church is already underway. You know, uh, Church attendance in the West is just in freefall. It's worse than ever, with a single exception. You know that during the COVID restrictions over the last year, attendance at the traditional Mass has doubled. I hope that's marvelous enough for you, because now is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, and we'll be right back.
Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. Good to have you along with us today. In our next segment, we are going to be welcoming Eric Sammons, the editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine, talking about the new periodical Benedictus, uh, which I mentioned in the first segment. But right now, it is um, St. Louis de Montfort's feast day. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this great saint of the rosary. He was a, a French Catholic priest. He was a popular preacher and known especially for promoting devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary and the practice of praying the rosary. He was considered a pioneer in the field of Mariology and is probably best known for his books, True Devotion to Mary and the Secret of the Rosary, and of course his promotion of the total consecration to Jesus through Mary. And this has been picked up uh, and popularized again in our own day by Father Michael Gately uh, and his book, 33 Days to Morning Glory. We know St. John Paul II's papal motto was totus tuus, totally yours, and that was itself a reference to total consecration. Louis de Montfort was canonized uh, by Pope Pius XII in 1947. But his great influence on the Church was his promotion of the Holy Rosary, which had kind of fallen into disuse in his own day. And much of his preaching and teaching uh, on Mary was based on the work of a late medieval Dominican by the name of Blessed Alan de la Roche, who lived in the 1400s. So St. Dominic in the 1200s had, had uh, or the, established the Confraternity of the Holy Rosary, and it retained its first fervor for, you know, a better part of 100 years, after which, you know, it, it fell out of uh, kind of public favor. And, and looking at history, though, with the eyes of faith, you can see that it was the devil at work trying to get people to neglect the rosary in order to block that flow of divine grace that it was bringing down upon Christendom. So in, 19, or in 1349, uh, God punished the whole of Europe with the most terrible plague the world has ever seen. I mean, it's a genuine pandemic. The Black Death spread throughout Italy, Germany, France, England, Poland, Hungary, you know, the, the whole of Christendom. And it brought desolation everywhere it went. Not only did a lot of people get it, they weren't just, you know, Black Plague positive, but uh, <laughs> they were typically dead within hours. Uh, you know, they say that not one man in a hundred uh, lived to tell the tale, and that's an, an exaggeration, but I've seen estimates as high as 75% of the entire population of, uh, you know, European countries uh, that fell to the Black Death. Big cities, little towns, country villages, monasteries just emptied out during uh, the three years of the Black Plague. And then that scourge of God was quickly followed by the uh, a response, which was, you know, the heresy of the flagellantes, the flagellants, and then the Great Western Schism, which lasted a biblical generation all the way from 1378 to 1417. So it's in this desperate time that, that God raised up a son of St. Dominic to preach the rosary again. Our good Lord appeared to Blessed Alan de la Roche and said, you're crucifying me again because you have all of the learning and understanding that you need to preach my mother's rosary and you're not doing so. If only you did this, you could teach many souls the right path and lead them away from sin. But since you're not doing it, you yourself are guilty of the sins they commit. Now, uh, that's after this rather harrowing reproach from our Lord, Blessed Alan solemnly resolved to, uh, to preach the rosary without ceasing. And the Blessed Virgin Mary also appeared to Blessed Alan to encourage that, uh, that ministry. And then a couple of centuries later, when the rosary had fallen into to disuse again, um, St. Louis de Montfort was inspired to promote 
the devotion and to remind Catholics of the great blessings that were promised to those who faithfully pray Our Lady's Psalter. And so since it is his feast day, I'd like to take a, a kind of a quick look at the history of the Holy Rosary, because the Church and the world are, are in desperate times once again. And many people reach out to Virgin Most Powerful and ask, you know, what they can do to help the situation. And this is, you know, these are people like you and me. They're, they're regular Catholics. They don't have a lot of money. They don't have a lot of influence. They're going to Mass regularly if, you know, if they're, although some of them, you know, are still suffering from COVID restrictions, so going regularly as well as they can. They're praying their five decades of the rosary every day. They're reading the scriptures every day. They're, you know, doing um, all the things that we promote here. And they're asking, is there something more that they can do? And I do have one suggestion, which is a simple thing. But of course, we know that simple doesn't necessarily mean easy. Uh, and it does require uh, an investment of time and, and a certain amount of discipline. But that is to pray the whole rosary every day. And when I say the whole rosary, I'm talking about what we, what we think of as the Dominican rosary, the, the rosary uh, of 15 decades, okay? Three sets of, of five mysteries, joyful, sorrowful, and glorious. And that this is the rosary is confirmed by its history because the 150 Hail Marys of the 15 decades conforms to the 150 Psalms uh, in the Bible, which in the early church were recited daily by uh, you know, monks and hermits in the desert and so forth. And the book of Psalms uh, is called the Psalter. In the 5th century, St. Benedict, uh, father of monasticism and patron of Europe, he realized the difficulty um, in p- trying to pray all 150 psalms every day, and so he arranged the psalms for his monks so that they would pray all 150 over the course of a week and, you know, and following the hours around the clock, and that was, became the, uh, the basis of the divine office. And around the 7th century, monks in Ireland had taken the 150 psalms and broken them into a format of three groups of 50. So you can see that 150 psalms and the three groups of 50. In fact, then in the 12th century, you've got uh, the custom of reciting psalms. Um, you know, the, the common people wanted to be able to, to join their prayers to the priests and religious who were praying the office, and so they replaced the psalms with the Hail Marys. And according to um, Redemptorist Father James Galvin, by the 13th century, the number of Aves was set at 150 to equal the number of psalms. And because, you know, the, the 150 Aves correspond to the psalms of David, the complete rosary is called Our Lady's Psalter. So Thomas Aquinas explains that the Psalter of David, composed of 150 psalms, can be divided into three equal parts of 50 psalms each, which represent in figure the three stages of the life of the faithful. So the state of penance and the state of justice and then the state of glory. And then we know in the, in the 13th century, Our Lady appeared to St. Dominic in response to his prayers for help in... Um, fighting the Albigensian heresy. And the solution she gave him was the rosary. She appeared to him and said, tell them to pray my Psalter. So by uh, inspiring the rosary crusade of St. Dominic, Our Lady put her seal of approval on a custom uh, which had been established in the church and strongly encouraged its practice in order to defeat heresy and other evils, uh, for example, socialism um, at Fatima. So uh, there are many devotions and several variations. There's the Servite Rosary of the Seven Sorrows of Mary. There's the Franciscan Crown Rosary of the Seven Joys of Mary. In 2002, St. John Paul II introduced his own chaplet called the Luminous Mysteries, 
which can be added optionally to the Rosary of St. Dominic. But Our Lady herself used the term Psalter twice, uh, which is the rosary designated as 150 Aves. Now, at Fatima, I mentioned, um, you know, Our Lady's condemnation of socialism. Well, she uh, told the children to pray a third of the rosary every day, right? In Portuguese, that word is terco, a third. That is, um, you know, five mysteries of the 15 or five decades. And the confraternity of the Holy Rosary, which was founded by St. Dominic and is still administered by the Dominicans today, asks their members to pray a full rosary just once a week. So 150 Aves a week, like the 150 Psalms that were recited uh, in the, the extraordinary form of the Divine Office. But it is certainly possible to pray all 15 decades in a day, which harkens back to the original practice of the monks and hermits who prayed the whole Psalter every day. And, you know... I think it's well to know that you don't have to pray all 15 mysteries at one time. If you want to take this on, you know, the, the, the three different sets of mysteries can be said at three different times a day, and it can be broken out even, even further. The ideal, of course, is to stop everything and pray, but, but I know that that's difficult for people with, um, with other obligations. So the mysteries can be prayed even while you're doing work, as long as it doesn't require a lot of concentration. So, you know, when you're washing the dishes, when you're, you know, folding laundry or weeding the garden or you're taking a walk. In other words, activities that don't impede your ability to meditate on the mysteries, right? And to help, or help rather, to stay focused, you can, um, you know, include a brief meditation with, uh, or I, you listen to a, um, like a rosary CD or here at Virgin Most Powerful, on our app, we have the, the Holy Rosary. And, you know, I produced that, and I was careful to include with the announcement of each mystery an announcement of the uh, virtue associated with that mystery and also uh, a brief meditation. And then, you know, Terry and Jesse recite the prayers antiphonally. So you can, you know, as you're doing these other things to help you keep focused, you can listen to uh, a, a presentation like that, or, you know, they have rosary DVDs and so forth. Um. But Our Lady's Psalter, you know, amongst all the many church-approved devotions, the rosary is, is um, second only to the divine office and the holy sacrifice of the Mass, um, you know, second only to the liturgy as the most efficacious and the most uh, recommended um, way for Christians to pray, Catholics to pray, especially in common. So uh, since it is his feast day, I think it would be appropriate to share a few words from uh, Louis de Montfort on the Most Holy Rosary. He said, Ever since Blessed Alain de la Roche reestablished this devotion, people have called it the Rosary. The word Rosary means crown of roses. That is to say that every time people say the Rosary devoutly, they place a crown of 153 red roses and 16 white roses upon the heads of Jesus and Mary. Being heavenly flowers, these roses will never fade or lose their exquisite beauty. That's in the, in the secret of the rosary. Um, he explained the red roses and the white roses, that the Aves, or the Hail Marys, represent these red roses that are given to Mary, and the Our Fathers, white roses that are given to our Lord. And, you know, it's, it's a wonderful image, the idea, and I think chaplet also um, is a word that represents a string of flowers. And it's, um, it's a beautiful image. And you notice he says 153 red roses. So that's the 150 
um, Hail Marys of the uh, 15 mysteries, the 15 decades, and then the three that you pray at the beginning. Uh, likewise with the Our Fathers, it says 16, so that's 15 for the mysteries and the one that you pray in the introductory prayers along with the, uh, um, the Apostles' Creed. You know, it's also interesting, too, that we, um, you know, the, 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 the way that the indulgences for the rosary work, it talks about following the local custom. Not everybody prays the rosary exactly the same everywhere. Uh, obviously, a lot of people have added the Fatima prayer that Our Lady of Fatima asked that the children add to their rosaries. Uh, also, the, the custom of praying the, the glory be to the Father um, is, is an addition to the rosary. It was actually an addition to the rosary in St. Louis de Montfort's time. And he, he recommended it because it's, again, it ties it to the divine office because the glory be is prayed after the Psalms uh, when you pray the Liturgy of the Hours. So a final word from Louis de Montfort. When the rosary is said well, it gives Jesus and Mary more glory and is more meritorious than any other prayer. And that's no nonsense. Hey, when we come back, talking with uh, Mr. Eric Sammons about Benedictus right here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stick with us. No Nonsense Catholic will be right back after this. Uh, Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. I'm your host, Matthew Arnold. And joining us now is Eric Sammons, prolific author, host of the podcast Swimming Upstream and editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine, here today to talk about the upcoming debut of the new monthly periodical Benedictus. Mr. Eric Sammons, welcome to No Nonsense Catholic. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Well, I, uh, I've been impressed by your work for many years. I'm glad I have the opportunity to, to uh, tell you uh, in person, kind of. Uh, <laughs> and and before we, we talk about Benedictus, um, you know, I was online the other day, as I am wont to do, and I noticed that in 2019 you posted an article called Why I Call Myself a Traditional Catholic. Now, I also consider myself a traditional Catholic, although perhaps not a traditionalist, if you will. Uh, and so to start us off, why, why don't you tell us uh, about what attracted you to the extraordinary form and uh, maybe more traditional forms of piety? Well, it really was the—I started attending about 10 years ago uh, the Extraordinary Form of the Mass on a regular basis, a parish, actually. It was FSSP Parish. Mm -hmm. And I was—it was—I'll be honest. It was more a process of elimination of why we started attending there. We had moved to the area, and I just didn't really want to raise my kids in the other parishes that were available, to be blunt. Um, And I— so we weren't like going to the extraordinary form for the extraordinary form. It was more like, okay, well, at this parish, I am finding reverence. I am finding a deep love of Jesus, a love of Catholic tradition. And that's what I want to my kids to have. And so we started going. And then over time, my 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 thoughts really started to develop more and more and realize, wow. This is, frankly, tragic that this has been taken away from us, and I just fell in love with the traditional uh, Latin Mass, the extraordinary form, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, just because of its built-in reverence, its built-in uh, ability to bring the soul into worship of God, and that focus on God, everything about it, I mean, literally everything about it, how how the priest celebrates that, orientum, everything, points towards this worship of God, 
And so, like I said, I, I just fell in love with it and I felt like it was a, a great place to raise my own kids. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, uh, uh, consistent with a testimony of a lo- number of people that I know that yeah, regularly yeah. assisted the traditional mass. You know, you've also written that being a traditional Catholic doesn't mean that you necessarily, you know, reject the ordinary form or that you reject Vatican Council II or whatever. Right. I, I, I've kind of long maintained that the test of a traditional Catholic is not so much which form of the right that they uh, attend, but whether or not they can say the act of faith and really mean it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's not always easy. Yeah, I mean, my biggest issue with the ordinary form was was not so much the, the rite itself as its common celebration. You know, you're talking about reverence, and I'm right. also I'm just deeply allergic to nonsense. Hence the name of the program. Right. <laughs> uh, so, point being, I think the extraordinary form is really, I mean, it's objectively superior um, right. form of the rite, and I, I I get that sense that that's kind of where you're coming from, also. Absolutely, absolutely, and. And I, I know people, when they hear that, they immediately, a lot of people think you're saying that the people who go to it are objectively superior to people who right. go to the ordinary form. But that's not at all what we're saying. <laughs> no. Because, first of all, we had nothing to do with the development of either right. Yeah, <laughs> so to point. say one is objectively superior to the other it has nothing to do with me. It's not pride because I had nothing. I didn't create either of them. Mm-hmm. And so what it's just simply saying is it's objectively superior at worshiping God, bringing people into worship, in, and, and doing the things that the Catholic liturgy is supposed to do. It's, it's just better at doing those things. And it's not to say that if you go the ordinary form, a priest who celebrates the ordinary form in a very reverent manner isn't worshiping God. That's not, right, it's not like it's invalid or anything like that. It's just mm-hmm. simply that the extraordinary form, I think, brings people in. And it it makes sense that it does because it's had hundreds and hundreds of years of development, figuring out the best way to do it, organically kind of deciding. Whereas the ordinary form was created very quickly uh, in, in, in a short period of time, 1960s, by a committee, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it makes sense that, I mean, anybody who's been involved in business for a while knows what committee <laughs> produce. <laughs> yeah. yes. And so the organic long-time development uh, long-term development of the the extraordinary form, I think, really uh, shows itself in in it how it it can bring people into the the proper worship of God. All right, and well, and speaking of the liturgy and the proper worship of God, I received this uh, uh, review copy of Benedictus, and I have to say that I was I find it very impressive. Okay, and so why don't we just start at the beginning and tell us a little bit about Benedictus and how it came about? I, I'm interested in the genesis of what I'm holding in my hand. Yeah, actually, the funny thing, this is about, I think, about the third attempt to do something like this. Mm -hmm. Uh, So most people who have gone to the ordinary form regularly uh, know about the Magnificat. And that's the, uh, this size, uh, it's it's a little booklet, a monthly booklet that allows somebody to, it's a small missalette that basically you can go to the ordinary form of the Mass, you can follow along the Mass, you also have some spiritual readings in it and, and various things to help you uh, with your, um, participation in mass. And over the years, a few times people have attempted to do something similar for the extraordinary form. Mm-hmm. The, the fact of the matter is I think two reasons why previous attempts have failed, but I, I'm confident this one won't, is that first of all, I just don't think there was the, um, the popularity of the extraordinary form existed as much as it does today. Right. Especially didn't have, didn't have a big enough customer base. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. The customer base has just grown. And two, the the people who attempted it were very well-intentioned, God bless them, but they just didn't have the funds to get it started. And to get something like this started, you have to have funds. And so what's happened is Sophia Institute Press has taken this on, 
And so I think those two things that were problems before are no longer problems because over the past, I would say, two to three years, the extraordinary form has grown just exponentially in popularity. I think anybody who goes to extraordinary form mass for a few years has seen it. Like in my parish, for example, we went from averaging about 120 to 150 a week uh, about two years ago, and now we average about 400 a week. Yeah. And and so we see, and I and I've heard this from many many people that this is the case at their parishes as well. Mm-hmm. And secondly, Sophia and Supress has the. they're they're big enough and they have the funds that they can get it started, the money you need initially to get started, to get the subscription base so that it can then support itself. And I'll tell you something, a little secret. They've already gotten the subscription base uh, already, and it's not even coming out until August uh, that they need to really sustain. Now, of course, they're trying to grow more so that it can be produced and sent to other countries because right now it's... it's, um, in America, uh, mm. to do more with it. So, and to reach more people with it. So it's all good. Um, but I, I really think that's kind of the Genesis was we, something that will allow somebody who attends the extraordinary form of the mass to have a simple missile, because that's the number one question I get from newcomers. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, I have no idea what's going on. Right. How can I figure it out? And then when I recommend a missile to them, they're like, I have no idea how to read this missile. (laughs) (laughs) Help me out. I see, I mean, flipping everything, you know, it's heavy. You know, I especially think of the the mom who's got one kid on her hip, another, you know, toddler yanking at at her dress. She's trying to keep her veil on. And and (laughs) she's supposed to have a missile somehow and be able to flip through this big missile and and, and follow what's going on. God bless her, but that ain't happening. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, no, so that, 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 this is like a solution for that, right? And and you know, I think it's a, I think it's a good one. I I would hope too that I mean there would, might come a time when you know uh, parishes that, that regularly have the extraordinary form would maybe have it in the pews, you know, right? All all the missalette, and then right. uh, also now I can tell you, my wife and I are subscribers. You know, we I I think it's a terrific idea, and I've been I've been encouraging everybody in my circle to to sign up now and i was i was somewhat concerned about building that customer base it's good to know right. that uh, that things are in place yeah. for that um, great response great response so far yeah well and I'm, I'm not terribly surprised i i know you you talked to dr kuznevsky the other day on, mm-hmm. on on your podcast and and he's pointed out how exponentially i mean it's, i think um mass attendance is something like doubled just in the last 12 months you were talking about uh anecdotally at your own parish but uh, right right it's kind of happening everywhere and that's and that's a that's a terrific sign you know, and, and, and the, you know, there's always been the reputation, a stereotype that uh, traditionalists, let's just say we come across maybe standoffish. Right. <laughs> I'm trying to use the <laughs> diplomatic term, yeah. especially for newcomers. Mm-hmm. And of course, we don't want to do that. And I, I think all traditional Catholics I know, they don't want to do that, but I, they, they might come across like that unintentionally. And sure. part of it is just simply this new experience of the mass that, that newcomers have never had before, that alone is a little bit standoffish. Mm-hmm. The fact that most people who are at tradition, th- there's not the kind of common experience of the uh, usher who's like glad handing everybody and like, right. you know, father telling everybody, you know, jokes and stuff like that. So it already has this building, which I think is good, but I do understand the, 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 the newcomers perspective. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is allow, I mean, I always recommend, first of all, for 
total newcomers to the extraordinary form is don't have a missile at all. That's right. Just let it wash over you. Just let it wash <laughs> over you. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. it, it let it wash over you. Don't worry about it. Uh, go for at least a month or two before you worry about a missile. But if you're going to go regularly, it is right. great to have a missile. And I think this is a great one. You can start with this, but you can end with it too, because it's not like it's just for newcomers, but mm -hmm. it really can help you enter into what's going on without getting confused about where the heck are we right now. <laughs> right. I mean, and that's one of the, one of the fine things about this is for the Sunday, uh, mass, you've got the propers integrated into the ordinary. So right. that, you know, there's no matter, you're not, you're not flipping back and forth and all that, that kind of, uh, right. Um, yeah. The idea is, activity. is on Sunday, you never have to flip. You, yeah. you just kind of go straight through, you follow along, and, it, and it's a, and it, you don't even have to look up what Sunday is it. You, it just says <laughs> the date. So August 5th, you know, August 15th. Okay, there's the date, August 15th. I just look up August 15th. I guess yeah. that would be an obvious one, but yeah. you know, whatever <laughs> date may be, I, I end up picking a, a holy day of obligation, but you know what. Right. Uh, but it's very easy to follow along then. Well, it's beautiful. I, I particularly like that there's kind of daily devotionals in it also, morning and evening. I have spent years ping-ponging back and forth from, you know, praying the, the shorter Christian prayer, Liturgy of the Hours, in the ordinary form, and doing my own kind of Frankenstein truncated <laughs> uh, version of the, of the traditional uh, office, and it's just nice to have somebody, uh, you know, I, I'd love to talk to you about the process at some time, we're, we're, I'm not going to have time for that today, but the fact that you guys are doing it uh, is just really impressive. Also, I, um, God, the 15 minutes has gone by very quickly, I want to invite you back Eric, it's been terrific having you. Where do we go to get Benedictus? Where do we go to Just subscribe? go to PrayBenedictus.com. So PrayBenedictus.com, and you'll find it, be able to order it, find out more information, get to see some samples, the pages, and things like that. Perfect. You've also got a, a book coming out. Uh, I do. Deadly Indifference. I want to invite you back to talk about that. I would right. love it. All right. Thank you very much, and uh, we'll be right back with lots more after this. Oh, there I am. Welcome back to No Nonsense Catholic. Uh, great to have you along with us. Uh, terrific interview with Eric Sammons. Wow, it seems like a really great guy. And uh, and i got to put in another plug for Benedictus. PrayBenedictus.com is where you go to uh, to subscribe. And I should mention that it's only five bucks a month. I mean, that's I mean, for everything you get for that, that's really uh, super reasonable. All right. Um, I wanted to close out the show today by taking a quick look at the gospel from last Sunday's Mass in the Extraordinary Form, the third Sunday of Easter, which is from uh, John's Gospel, chapter 16. At that time, Jesus said to his disciples, a little while and you shall not see me, and again a little while and you shall see me, because I go to the Father. And then some of his disciples said to one another, What is this that he saith to us? A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, Therefore, What is this that he saith? A little while. We know not what he speaketh. And Jesus knew that they had a mind to ask him, and he said to them, Of this do you inquire amongst yourselves, because I said, A little while, and you shall not see me, and again a little while, and you shall see me? Amen, amen, I say to you, that you shall lament and weep, but the world shall rejoice, and you shall be made sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, uh, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But when she hath brought forth the child, she remembereth no more the anguish 
for joy that a man is born into the world. So also you now indeed have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man shall take from you. Thus far the words of the Holy Gospel. And when our Lord said these words, he was speaking of his death and resurrection, and then also of his ascension into heaven and his return in glory. So his expression, by the expression, yet a little while, Jesus meant that he was soon to leave his disciples, and that during the time of his passion they would have much to suffer, but that he would soon see them again, and then no one would be able to take their joy from them anymore. And really, what are the sufferings of this present time in comparison with the eternal joy to come? St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, For our present light affliction, which is for the moment, prepares us for an eternal weight of glory that is beyond all measure. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So why did Jesus tell his disciples ahead of time about their sufferings and about their joys? And for a number of reasons. First of all, that they might bear their trials more easily. Second, that they might not think their master unable to preserve them from sufferings. Just because we're suffering doesn't mean that God can't deliver us. Number three, that by looking to the eternal joy, they might make light of present troubles and keep up their courage. Therefore, says St. John Chrysostom, tell me if you were called to a temporal kingdom, but before entering the palace where you were to be crowned, you had to spend the night in a dark and offensive stable, would this be hard for you? Would you not bear it cheerfully in expectation of the kingdom? So if somebody said, we're going to make you king, but first you have to spend the night in a smelly stable, it's like, okay, no problem. And it's the same thing here with our present troubles. You know, I... I, uh, read a while back a sermon for the third Sunday after Easter written a number of years ago by Reverend Wilfred J. Diamond, and he preached on that verse from the gospel, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. And he shared this story of an old Persian king who was wondering what he could give to his son as a gift for his 16th birthday. And ultimately he decided on a ring. And when the birthday came, His son, the prince, was very proud of the ring, and then he saw what was written on it. For on the ring, in Persian letters, it said, Even this shall pass away. Now, the prince didn't really understand what those words meant, but he wore the ring anyway, and he often read the inscription on it over and over until he knew it by heart. And then later, when he was older, he went off to war to fight uh, beside his father, and he was struck with an arrow. And he lay in bed for several weeks, and he was in great pain. And many times during that illness, he'd look at the ring and say to himself, even this, even this pain shall pass away. And it did. And he grew older, and he got married, and he was very happy. But just the same, he kept looking at the ring and saying to himself, even this, even this joy shall pass away. And it did, for his young bride died. And again he said, even this... Even this grief shall pass away. And it did. And when his father died, he was crowned king. And he was in his prime. And the day of his coronation, he looked into the mirror and he saw the fine uh, figure of a man that he had become. And he said to himself, even this, 
even this body of mine shall pass away. And it did. And when he was in his final illness and laying on his deathbed and looking out the window over his kingdom, he said to himself, even this, even this empire which I rule shall pass away. Even the great Persian empire. And it did. The question is, for you and me, do we have anything, is there anything about us that will not pass away? And the answer is yes, of course, uh, our soul. Our souls are not eternal because they had a beginning, but they will have no end. And there's a word for that. There's a word for something that has a beginning but no end. That word is immortal. Our bodies are mortal. Our bodies will die. Even though they will be raised in glory on the last day, they will suffer death. But the soul, the soul is immortal. The soul never dies. And when you think about it, immortal, that's a a terrible word in, in the true meaning of the word terrible. It means your soul cannot die, even if it wanted to. That you, not only will you live forever, you must live forever, either in the company of our good Lord or eternally separated from him. That's why the church wants us to meditate on the four last things, because if you think about eternity, if you meditate on that enough, you will avoid sin. It's like it says, my, probably one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, Ecclesiasticus 740, in all thy works, remember thy last end and thou shalt never sin. And when you're tempted, you say to yourself, even this, even this temptation will pass away. But my soul will not pass away. So I need to resist. And get into the habit of repeating those words to yourself. Even this shall pass away, you know. Um, You will be made sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. If you have something that's hard to to bear, you remember, even this shall pass away. If you're tempted to be uh, prideful or conceited about something, that too, that whatever it is that you're all proud about, that too will pass away. What's not eternal doesn't matter because we're not born for this present time. We are born for eternity. In the Cathedral of Milan, there is over the doorway a, uh, uh, an inscription, which is not unlike the words on, on the Persian king's ring. Over the main doorway, there, there are carved three pictures. And on the left, there's roses with a ribbon. And on the ribbon, it says, all it pleases will pass away. And on the right side, there's a cross and a ribbon. And on the ribbon are the words, all that pains will pass away. And in the center, there's a triangle, which represents God, you know, the Trinity. And it says in the triangle, all that matters is eternal. And that's no nonsense. So um, we should be patient in adversity. St. John says, you shall lament and weep. But our Lord also tells us that, um, you know, uh, your sorrow shall be turned into joy. I think a lot of people think that, that happiness consists in material things, and honors and riches and pleasures. But, but Christ calls blessed not the rich, but the poor in spirit and the persecuted. He even predicts to his disciples that nothing, you know, they're going to have nothing but sorrows in this world. While the rich and great who sets their heart on the world, he says he, he predicts nothing for them but woe, mourning, weeping in the world to come. Therefore, they are to be pitied who ignore this truth. 
people who think they're only about spending their, their days in, in comfort and luxury, and then at the same time holding out this false hope for heaven. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't go to heaven if you're rich, but it means that you can't make uh, your wealth or your health or, or any other material thing or temporal thing, you can't make an idol of that. You can't put that in place of God or in place of the cross. You know, all of the saints have ascended to the altars of, of the church only by the way of the cross, by suffering. And it's certain that none of us can have a part with Christ or the saints if we have not borne a part of their sorrows. All right. So something to remember from the third Sunday of Easter. Well, it's been terrific having you with us. I, I especially enjoyed uh, having Eric Salmons on, and I'm going to one more time ask you to uh, go to PrayBenedictus.com and get your subscription to Benedictus if you're at all interested in the traditional Latin Mass and traditional um, uh, piety, wonderful prayers. You've got the text, you know, the, the ordinary and, and the propers, but also daily devotions and meditations and, and essays. They had uh, stuff from... Uh, in this issue from the imitation of Christ, thank you very much, and from other uh, sources that are uh, that are near and dear to my heart. So I can't recommend that highly enough. Also, next month we're going to have. We're, I, apparently, we're back on YouTube, so hooray for that! Uh, as long as it lasts, and we're planning next month to have here on YouTube another virtual conference. Terry Barber uh, going to be talking about evangelization and his uh, his best selling evangelization book and his uh, parish level evangelization course which was videotaped and he'll be hosting a uh, a virtual uh, conference featuring that and you can get all the information on that and our upcoming men's conference in june which is going to feature jesse romero and um, also eddie chavez is going to come and give a presentation also we're going to have a presentation via video from bishop joseph strickland so all of that coming up here uh, from Virgin Most Powerful. Visit vmpr.org, and you can register and get all the information you need and also see our videos, presentations of all of these separate shows and the podcasts, all available right there on vmpr.org. In the meantime, I want to say thank you so much for being with us today. I look forward very much to doing it again next week. Also, next uh, month in May, we're going to have... Um, Eric, Aaron Seng is going to come on and talk about his project Tradivox, which is uh, they're reprinting all these old catechisms, and I just got one, and it is sweet. So we're going to talk about that and lots more in the weeks ahead. And until then, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your prayers, your spiritual support. We couldn't do without that, and also your financial support as well. Go on to vmpr.org. You can donate with one click or find out how to be a monthly donor. We do appreciate that. Uh, your participation in this apostolate. Until next time, thanks for listening. May God richly bless you and your family.